Hey, welcome to Access. John here. If you haven't already, be sure to download the free FBC Rungi Church app on iTunes or Google Play for sermons, announcements, and important updates regarding the church. Have you ever experienced a time when what you wanted didn't seem to line up with what God wanted? This is part five in a six-part series called Follow Me, where we're going to examine what always seems to happen when we don't leave our agendas for God's. This message is entitled, Crossroads. Do you want what God wants? Over the course of the last four weeks, we've been talking about what it looks like to be a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ, and we talked about a lot of stuff. We talked about how being a disciple isn't a list of do's and don'ts. It's a relationship where we daily and actively follow Jesus wherever he's leading us. Um, We examined why it's so important to read the fine print of what a disciple actually is. Jesus told us that following him is going to come at a cost. And um, while it doesn't cost us anything to believe in Jesus, following him, on the other hand, will cost us everything. We looked at how Jesus said his disciples are to make disciples, and they're to make disciples. And um, the function of every single disciple of Jesus is to make other disciples. It's where God is leading us. It's where he's going to take us. We either need to currently be discipled, or we need to be discipling someone else, or both. I mean, both can happen. Last week, we discussed how God actually has a pruning process for his disciples to help them to be more fruitful. We identified some of the things in our life that God wants to cut out, and it's always painful when he does it, but he knows when and how to prune us so that we'll be more fruitful. Well, today I want to spend some time flushing out an idea that we touched on in week two of this series. And If you remember, I said that when we come to Christ, each of us comes to Jesus because we want or need something. We don't come to Jesus as followers. We come to Jesus as consumers. And um, if you were to break down every single believer's testimony, you would see that all of us came to Christ for selfish reasons. Personally, I came to Christ because I didn't want to go to hell and I wanted to go to heaven. Now, maybe it wasn't so dramatic for other people. Maybe they just recognized that becoming a Christian is a wise decision since um, what do you have to lose? You know, um, Some other people might have been following Jesus uh, knowing that it will improve their life. You know, You have better relationships. You'll make wiser decisions. You'll live with fewer regrets. One of the most fundamental teachings of the Old and New Testaments um, is that if you want to experience God's blessing, you must be obedient to him. And when you're obedient, he will bless you. God has set up several principles that the world operates off of. He says, if you do what I say, you'll be blessed. And if you don't do what I say, you're going to live under a curse. Um, My wife, Erin, and I, um, we've been studying the book of Proverbs together. And Proverbs, what we've discovered is it's all about exercising wisdom so that you can live under God's blessing. Wisdom comes from God, and he spares us from heartache when we listen to his wisdom. However, our understanding of this fundamental teaching, that we experience blessing when we do what God says, it can have an undesired, uh, unintended effect on a lot of Christians. For example, we can be influenced to believe that it's okay to spend time away from God and come back to him when we need something, and only when we need something, because that's what consumers do. Don't call us, we'll call you. And when we need something, well, then you'll get a phone call. And, and you know, that, that might sound a little childish, but believe it or not, we do that. 
We do that. We stay away from God for a while and we come back when we're penniless or in a bad relationship or in trouble with the law. Maybe our uh, health takes a turn for the worse or when tragedy strikes and we want to explain why. That's exactly what happened at 9-11. You know, there's tragedy in New York and all these people started rushing back to churches because they were trying to make sense of it all. God, where does this fit in in your plan? And help me understand because I need to understand. You know, we begin to think of God, he will bless us whenever we just make an effort. You know, well, I made an effort, I guess, kind of, and we just coast the rest of the time. We say things like, you know, God, I promise I'll go to church more often if, and you God, I'll read my Bible more if only you'll, and I'll give my, I'll give to every homeless person I see, God, if you will just help me with this. And, and God, if you bless me, I'll make every single effort. Uh, to, to you know to get along with my neighbor get along with my family members or I'll, I'll I'll try to be more like you if you'll just help me but have you ever noticed that God doesn't seem to respond to that kind of bribery and I think this is mostly in part because um that God doesn't exist God doesn't fit into our back pocket so we can take him out and put him back in whenever we want he doesn't live live in a in a genie lamp that we rub when we need him you know hey uh God I, I got three wishes so come and help me out and then we just put him away at our leisure. You know, the sad reality is, is that some people only turn to God when they need something, and they make the mistake of never asking God what he needs from them. And like I said, it's okay to start there. We all start as consumers, but it's such a tragedy if that's all we ever are, that we never move forward and we never grow. And what I'd like to talk about today is a prime example of that, a prime example of, of where consumerism Christianity gets us. Today I'd like to talk about one of the most despised, hated people in all of history. And I want to examine the story of the most renowned traitor of all time, Judas Iscariot. Um, When I was a kid, my dad would often dress up like an apostle for Sunday morning services, and he would do a reenactment of their life, and he would explain what their life was, and it just kind of helped bring it to life. And um, when I surrendered to the ministry, for some reason or another, I felt like doing the same thing except for I was drawn to Judas Iscariot. I guess I just wanted to wrap my mind around how it is that he did what he did. I mean, knowing Jesus and seeing him face to face and how the other disciples didn't seem to know, it just is boggling to the mind. I just couldn't understand it. And so what I did is I got out my Bible and I studied every single passage of Scripture that involved Judas. And what I did is I kind of put it together in a little screenplay reenacting of his life, and I acted it out for my home church. Now, I realize the reenactment of Judas Iscariot sounds very, very strange. But during this process of studying and memorizing the script so I could act it out, I discovered something that surprised me. What I discovered was is that I saw a lot of Judas in me, which made it easy, even easier to act out because, you know, I was just acting like myself, honestly. And, you know, I just want to be completely honest. I believe that there's a little Judas in all of us. I mean, if we're all being honest and we're all being fair, isn't there a little Judas in all of us? Now, before you write me off and say, I'm no traitor, you know, I'm not a narc. <laughs> I, don't, I don't turn in my friends. Well, just try to put yourself in Judas's shoes for just a minute. In the time that Jesus came in the world, the entire Jewish nation was living under the rule and oppression of Rome. Whatever the Romans wanted, they did. 
and, and the Jews were required to not only tolerate, tolerate temples of false gods in their cities, they were required to work and pay tribute to Rome, which used part of their finances to endorse these temples. So just about everything that the Romans did was a slap in the face to the Jews. There's a passage where Jesus says, hey, if somebody takes your cloak, uh, give them your tunic as well. Or if somebody wants you to walk a mile, uh, walk an extra mile. He was talking to Jews about the Romans. Because the Romans were taking advantage of the Jews. And he says, hey, go that extra mile. Show them that, that God is at work in your life. And, and so uh, the Jews were anxiously awaiting the arrival of the Messiah. Because the Messiah was supposed to come and overthrow all worldly powers and establish his nation as the new Jerusalem. There would be no more war. There would be no more suffering. Moses promised that he'd come. And they were waiting in eager expectation for him to come. So imagine what it must have been like to be one of the disciples, one of the twelve. Imagine what it must have been like to stand face to face with the one that scripture had prophesied about. You don't hear about the miracles. You get to see them with your own eyes. You get to experience them with your own hands and your own feet. This is the Messiah, and one day very soon he's going to march into Rome and he's going to overthrow the entire empire. This is the guy that you wanted to get close to because you knew he was going to be very, very important. And staying close to him meant that you were going to be important too. But you see, Jesus seemed to be talking about a different agenda most of the time. On one such occasion in Matthew 16, Jesus begins to explain that he will later suffer at the hands of the Pharisees and then he would be killed and raised from the dead three days later. And Peter, in, in Matthew 17, 22-23, he took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said, this shall never happen to you. And Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, and you don't have the things in mind of, of God, but the things of man. Um, and, and, you know, this, this passage of Scripture is so potent, and it's so important because it shows us what's really going on here. Now, he's not saying that, uh, you know, that that Peter is the devil. It's really the devil's words in his mouth. Like the devil is playing you. The devil is playing you. Open your eyes. We got two different agendas here, Peter. You know, it wasn't just, um, you know, just Judas was the one that was fighting these feelings. All of his disciples were fighting these feelings. Peter was con- wasn't concerned about Jesus. He was concerned about himself. He says in Matthew uh, 19, verse 27, We have left everything to follow you. What then will be there be left for us? This wasn't just Peter. This wasn't just Judas. This was all of his disciples. We've given away everything. And you know, you're supposed to go to Rome. You're supposed to be the Messiah. And here you keep talking about going to the cross and, and being crucified. What? Whoa, 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 what? That doesn't fit our model. It doesn't fit our agenda for what the Messiah is supposed to do. Please understand, this was the concern of every single disciple. Each of them invested their their lives in Jesus so that the return on investment would be worth it. I can leave behind my family business. I can leave behind my life of sin just as long as there's something to go towards here. And everyone comes to Jesus this way. Everybody. However, even though we each come to God with our own agendas, there comes a time when God's agenda doesn't seem to line up with ours. And when this happens, we have a decision to make. Are we going to do what we want to do because we want to do it? Or are we going to do what God wants us to do? Because that's what God has planned. Judas, he had an agenda for Jesus. 
And the sad thing is, the crazy thing is, is that Judas knew that Jesus was the Messiah. You, he wouldn't have followed him if he didn't think he was the Messiah. He knew it was true. He got to experience it firsthand. However, on multiple occasions, Jesus didn't seem to behave the way that they thought, that Judas thought, the Messiah was supposed to. And on one such occasion, it was the straw that broke the camel's, camel's back. No pun intended. Um, Matthew 26, verses 6 through 13. I want to read this for you. Um, it's really an incredible uh, a story. Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 through 13. Um, let's see if I can get here real quick. Matthew 26 is a big chapter. Um, While Jesus was in Bethany in the home of a man known as Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she had poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. And when the disciples, plural, saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. And aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. I tell you the truth, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Now, there's some incredible parts of this passage of scripture I just kind of want to point out. First, I believe the woman described here uh, is Mary Magdalene. Uh, we don't. We just know that she's Mary. In John chapter twelve, it describes her as Mary, the sister of Lazarus. Um, I believe that that is Mary Magdalene. We know that Mary Magdalene, whenever Jesus came upon her, that demons were cast out of her, um, and that she was wealthy enough to help provide for his ministry. Um, and here that she has this alabaster jar. It seems like a little coincidental to me. Although Mary was a very popular name, I think this was the same woman because Mary Magdalene was later the one that saw him in the tomb. I'll get to that in just a second. Um, in John chapter 12, verses 4 through 6, um, it, you know, gives, gives us some insight as to what was really going on here because it says that in... Um, um, in Matthew 26, um, it says that when the disciples saw this, they were they were indignant. So it's plural. But in Matthew, or, or I'm sorry, in John chapter 12, verses 4 through 6, it says, But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected, Why was this perfume not sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. And it says he didn't say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, as the treasurer, he used to keep the money for himself. And he would he take out whatever was put into it. So, um, what we see here is is a contrast to the attitudes of the heart. Yes, Judas was the ringleader. It could have just been Judas, or it could have been Judas was saying, "Hey, you know, why was this? Why was this done? It's such a waste. It's such a waste." And all the other disciples could have been like, "Yeah, yeah, he's got a point, Jesus. Why did you do this?" Because that's not what the Messiah seems to do. Because you know what? If the Messiah is going to go to Rome and he's going to overthrow Rome. He's going to need an army, and armies cost money. Armies have to be fed, so we're going to have to start saving now. Why are we wasting this? So what you see is is a contrast in the attitudes of the heart. And Jesus points out, he says, why are you bothering this woman? Leave her alone. She's done something beautiful. Do you not see what she's done? She's done something beautiful to me. And so um, I just kind of want to point out, Mary, I believe, gave her most treasured possession as a sign of submission to God's agenda. Now, a perfume was used to uh, prepare people for their burial. We see that in just a second. But also, um, you know, it could have been if she was a prostitute, as they believe Mary Magdalene was. I don't know that that's true. I don't, I, I've not seen anything to indicate that. But if that was true, then this was her trade that she was giving up 
She's giving up her lifestyle of sin, her most valuable possession. Yeah, I believe that Jesus is the Messiah, but I don't really want that to affect my agenda or what I think that should happen for my life. But here, if that's true, she's turning over her lifestyle of sin to him. If it's not true and this was intended for burial, she certainly didn't use it on her brother because Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. This was for her. Or maybe somebody important. Maybe it was a dowry you know, to, to get married one day and she could have been given that up. That was what her agenda was. And you see a very powerful attitude of the heart here that she submits to God's agenda for Jesus. Not stay close to Jesus because he's going to be important someday. She could have been the only one. She's definitely the first, but she could have been the only one that accepted that Jesus was going to go to the grave. Now keep in mind, you know, he says, she's done this to prepare me for my burial if this is Mary Magdalene, she was the first one at the grave. <laughs> you know, the, the tomb that was rolled away. She was the first one there. And then she went back and got the other disciples. So she could have been the only one that took it seriously. But you see a, a contrast in the attitudes of the heart. See, she cared about Christ. And she she wanted whatever God wanted. And, and it just it, it struck her heart. So she turned over her own agenda. But Judas, on the other hand, it had an adverse effect, an effect on him. He had a hard time accepting God's agenda. He had left everything to follow Christ, and it looked like Jesus, if he had his way, he was going to end up empty-handed. Why are you talking about death again, Jesus? No, that's not where you're supposed to grow. Uh, go. You're supposed to go to, the, to Rome, not the cross. What are you talking about? Mary had broken this alabaster jar of perfume that was worth a year's wages, and, and so Judas, he'd had enough because you know he was going to get some of that. And here you can't get the perfume back in the bottle. You can't sell it. So watch what happens in Matthew 26, uh, verses 14 through 16. It says, Then one of the twelve, the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out 30 silver coins, and from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Now this is really, really where things get confusing. How could Judas, one of the twelve, ever think that he was going to hand Jesus over? He had no doubt remembered the time whenever he was afraid for his life, uh, cowering in fear, thinking he was about to drown to death when Jesus was asleep in the bottom of the boat to go down there and say, Jesus, what are you doing? Why are you sleeping? We're about to die. Don't you care? He was there when Jesus got up, walked up to the top of the boat, and calmed the storm with his mouth. He got to see that. He, he got to see Jesus feed 5,000 men and then 4,000 men along with their wives and children. There was with barely enough food to feed one person. Judas witnessed Jesus raise Lazarus from the dead. Mary's brother, Judas got to see that. Judas knew that Jesus was the Messiah. Why would he ever think in a million years that he could hand over Jesus? I mean, this is Jesus the Messiah. Doesn't make any sense. Well, what I'm about to explain is what I call a Wallerism. It's, it's my belief, and, and it's my opinion of what I see in Scripture, which Scripture doesn't lay us out all the things that Judas was thinking, but this is what I believe. And if you don't agree, you don't have to. What I believe Judas was doing is he was trying to force Jesus' hand and kick it into high gear. He knew that Jesus was the Messiah, and he saw an opportunity to get paid at the same time. I think he's trying to speed things along. He knew that the Jews did not have the authority to kill anybody. You know, you can punish somebody, but you can't kill them. 
So if, if Jesus was, was taken by the, by the Pharisees, it just meant that Jesus is going to have to do something quick. Come on, Jesus, let's go. I'm waiting on you. The Romans wouldn't let him kill anyone. He never intended, he never intended for Jesus to be killed and crucified. He wanted Jesus to overthrow the Romans. And we know this because look at what it says in Matthew 27, verses 3 through 10. Look at this. This is pretty incredible. It says, when Judas, who had betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the 30 silver coins and to the chief priests and the elders. And he said, I have sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood. They asked, what is this to us? That's your responsibility. So Judas threw the money in the temple and he left. And then he went away and hung himself. And the chief priests picked up the coins and they said, it's against the law to put this in the treasury since it's blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. And that's why it's been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. They took the 30 silver coins, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used them to buy the potter's field as the Lord had commanded me. Now, this is interesting. If, if Judas wanted Jesus to die, he wouldn't have been filled with remorse and returned the money. What he was saying essentially is like, whoa, this isn't what I intended. You weren't supposed to turn him over to the Romans. I didn't even know you could do that. Here, take the money back. Take it back. Here, you know, I've sinned. <coughs> that right there <coughs> should have been should have been something that set out bells and alarms for, for these Pharisees. Because when someone would come to them and say, I've sinned, it was their responsibility to help them make sure they could get back in right standing with God. And look how they respond. So? That's not my problem. Nope, not my problem. They wanted Jesus so badly they didn't even, not even care about Judas. The fact that he had sinned against God. He never, he never intended for Jesus to be turned over to Pontius Pilate. And what happened next is absolutely incredible. They basically said, you know what? Not my problem. And two things about this part. I, I, this, he went away and he hung himself. Two things I want to point out about that. Number one, that's an important verse why you don't play Russian roulette with your Bible. Oh, give me a quick word from the Lord. And you just pointed a verse from random because you might align on that one. God, what am I supposed to do? Oh, Judas went and hung himself, you know, threw all the money in the temple and went and hung himself. I guess that's what I'm supposed to do. Don't play Russian roulette. Read your Bible and, and discern God's will. The second thing I would say is, is there is actually a, a, a book or a letter, I should say, that didn't make it into the canon of Scripture. And there's a reason why, a lot of reasons why. Um, to make for for a book of the Bible to make it into the canon of Scripture, it had to have uh, it had to fulfill three things. Number one, it had to be written by somebody that knew Jesus. Number two, it had to be used by um, you know you know had to be agreed upon basically. Uh, the people had to agree that that's what happened. There weren't any contradictions in it. And it also had to be used mainstream in churches. Um, the Gospel of Judas fulfilled none of those things. Essentially, if you never heard of the Gospel of Judas, what it is, um, basically it says, and it was written hundreds of years after the fact, what it says essentially is, is that Jesus took Judas aside at the Lord's Supper and he said, hey, um, I need you to do me a favor. And Judas says, what? And he says, I want you to go and tell them where to find me. And he's like, no, no, please, Jesus, I don't want to do that. And he's like, no, you need to do this because if this isn't done, then I won't, you know, my, my will won't be fulfilled. So you're going to have to go do this right now. Um, and Judas begs him not to, and he says, listen, I understand you're going to go down in, in history as being one of the most hated scoundrels of all time, but I really need you to do this. 
So basically what it does is it, it clears Judas' name and it discredits Jesus Christ. And there's several reasons why I would challenge you not to believe that is actually true. Like it's the long lost prophecy or the long lost story that tells us what really happens about the three little pigs and the big bad wolf. Yeah, no, this isn't true. That's not true. Scripture is so much more interesting because it's true. And I'll point this out to you. Number one, in the gospel of Judas, God commanded, Jesus commanded Judas to do this, but not to tell anybody. That's like saying, oh, this there were no survivors. You know, I'm telling this story, but there were no survivors. Well, there's no survivors. Well, then how do you know that story even happened? You're making that up. You're making it up. Judas didn't write that. Judas went away and hung himself. Plus, would Jesus, Judas have hung himself if he knew it was going to happen? Like Jesus told him, hey, look, you're going to condemn me, and I'm going to be hung on a cross, so don't panic. I, I just want you to know. Would Judas have hung himself? No. No, because would, everything would have been gone according to plan. What we see here is things didn't go according to plan. Judas' agenda, he, he tried to rush um, um, Jesus' agenda, God's agenda. He tried to, to get it happen right now, and it ended up blowing up in his face. If he didn't tell anyone, how would they write it down? He went away and he hung himself. I just think it's really intriguing um, the, you know, that, that anybody could believe that. That's, it's, it's completely preposterous. It's ridiculous. Another thing that's interesting about this passage of Scripture as we look at it, um, they said, you know, it's against the law to put this money in the treasury. Here they were condemning a man to death, an innocent man, a man they knew was innocent, not only innocent, but he was uh, <clears throat> the Messiah. Uh, they were condemning him to death, but they were, they were concerned about using blood money to do God's work. Well, that wasn't even in the book of the law. That was something that they had kind of made up to, to do a loophole. And so it's funny that they, you know, that they, it says they were the ones that decided what to do with it. And when the 30 pieces of silver, that was prophecy that Jesus was going to be portrayed for 30 pieces of silver, they counted it out. How many pieces? 28, 29, 30. That should have set off some bells in their, in their minds. Like, uh, we know the law, we know scripture. So is there a problem here? Hmm. But listen to this. They were the ones that decided what to spend it on. And it says that Jeremiah prophesied that they would use the 30 pieces of silver to buy the potter's field. That's incredible. They were, they knew prophecy. They knew scripture. They rejected Jesus, but they still did God's will. Should have been a huge indicator that Jesus was the Messiah, but for some reason, they continued anyway. So what does all this all mean for us? What does this mean? Well, as I said, I believe each of us have a little Judas in us. Now, we could never, don't worry, we can never commit the same sin that Jesus did to the level that he did. After knowing Jesus on a personal, face-to-face -face basis, betrayed him. But also understand where Judas was coming from here. Yeah, he's a scoundrel. Yeah, he's a traitor. Yeah, he was low down. But listen, this is the condition of the human heart. We won't have the opportunity to screw up so badly. However, each of us has our own agenda when it comes to being a Christian. Because when we became a Christian, we became a Christian for selfish reasons. There will come a day or multiple days when what you want and what God wants don't seem to align. And you're going to be faced with a decision. This decision won't make sense to anyone, not even you. It will feel like this huge moral dilemma is on your shoulders. Like It seems to go against everything that you know and everything that you want. You've been waiting for this for such a long time, and there it is. But God seems to be holding you back. Why? 
There'll be a time when you want to stay and God's telling you it's time to go. There'll be a time when, when you want to go, but, but God's telling you it's time to stay. Or then when you want to speak and he's telling you to be quiet. Or, you know, you want to be quiet and he's telling you to speak. God will tell you that it's time to give and you want to keep. Or God, God will tell you to put your money away when you want to spend. And it will feel like your soul is ripping in half. Like a part of you is dying because you don't want to do that. Like your agenda, that's not a part of your agenda. And it doesn't seem to line up with what God is telling you to do. The question that I asked you when we first started was, do you want what God wants? And I want to be completely transparent with you. If I were to answer that question most of the time, my answer would be no. Because most of the time, God's telling me that I need to abandon something that I love or to make sacrifices I don't want to make. God, I don't want to do that. Or God, I want to do this and you're not letting me. I wouldn't have any problem in the world if God told me to go purchase a winning lottery ticket. But you know what? I hadn't hadn't had that experience. Most of the time, God sends me places I don't want to go. And he tells me to call people I don't want to talk to and to do things I don't want to do. Or say things that I don't want to say. He directs me to lay down my pride and my reputation. And understand that everything that I have. He's given it to me. It's not mine. It's his. Even though I'm attached to it. And most of the time. My agenda works against God's agenda. And if we're being honest. Most of the time I don't want what God wants. And if you're being honest. I think you'd agree. That's you too. See, here's the thing. Knowing God and reading Scripture, what the Holy Spirit begins to reveal to me is that even though I don't want what God wants, deep down, I want to want what God wants. I want to want what God wants me to do. And I think the trick is to stay there long enough for God to show me how. Do you know that God sends us in directions we don't want to go most of the time? And and when he does, it's because he loves us. It's because it it would pain him too much to let us get the things that we want or or to stay still when we need to go or go when we need to stay still. As I said, Aaron and I are studying the book of Proverbs together and we came across this passage that I believe explains how God decides which way we should go. Proverbs is all about wisdom. It's God, and it talks about how wisdom comes from God. Listen to this, Proverbs 5.21. For a man's ways are in full view of the Lord, and he examines all his paths. I'm not telling you something you don't already know. You know that God is all-knowing, that God is omniscient. And one of the most mind-boggling parts of all of that is that not only does God know what will happen, he knows what could happen if we made a different decision. Think about that. He knows which way you will go. He knows all the possibilities of decisions that you could make. And yet he sees the outcome from every single destination, every single decision, every place that we end up. And he tells us which way is the best. And it doesn't make sense to us. God seeing every decision we make leads us to the best possible outcome to fulfill not only an outcome that's beneficial for us, but his plan. Judas, he betrayed Jesus because he was he was trying to speed things along. Come on, let's get this show on the road. I don't have all day. But here's a fundamental truth we need to know about God. 
We don't like waiting on God, but you cannot force God's will. You can't. Nor can you contradict or compromise it. Jesus didn't stop Judas from doing what Judas wanted to do. Judas wanted to make money. Come on, Judas. Jesus, I want to be important. And so Judas committed a horrible, horrible sin against the Messiah. Nobody stopped him. Jesus could have stopped him, but he didn't. Here's something that happened in our favor. Without Judas's horrible betrayal, you and I wouldn't be saved from our sin. Wrap your mind around that. You can't force God by doing things for yourself, and his will is going to happen with or without you. Wow, that's, that's hard to understand. It should comfort us, I think, that God's will is going to happen no matter what we do. But it should also scare us a little bit, I think, that if we do what we want to do, God's not going to try to stop us. And I think that's why it's so important that we need to understand that it's so important. We need to follow Jesus. Because when we don't, things don't turn out well for us. This isn't a, oh, I'm here in church for a few Sundays so that that my finances will turn out better or that my health will return or that God will hear my prayers. No, we need to follow Jesus because without him, without him, we live under a curse. We live, we live out of a relationship with the Creator God. If we follow Him, however, we will be blessed beyond measure, not with financial gain, not with health, not without problems, but we get blessed beyond measure because we know Him and we get to be with Him. None of Jesus' disciples followed Jesus because of what He said or even what was written about Him. Listen, they surrendered to follow Jesus because of what they saw. Every single disciple betrayed Jesus because of their own agenda. Before They abandoned Jesus, rather, before the crucifixion. But see, after Jesus was raised from the dead, after they saw the resurrected Christ, see what happened there is, they, they saw a man who was betrayed and crucified on the cross, they saw him placed in the tomb, they saw the empty tomb, and he appeared to them, and they saw a resurrected Messiah, and they began to realize how very small their agendas really were, that it didn't even compare with God's agenda. And see, they made the same decision that Mary made. My agenda is not worth it. And I want to do a beautiful thing for Jesus and turn over my agenda to him. So I want you to carefully consider your agenda, especially when it comes to contradict God's. We're not called to want what we want. We're called to do what God says, to want what he wants. And we're not able to do that by ourselves. Listen, this isn't something that we can do on our own. We need the Holy Spirit to help us. You will face a crossroads. You might be facing one now where you have to decide, will you pursue what you want or will you pursue what God wants? My prayer for our gain and our benefit is that each of us in that moment, through the Holy Spirit's empowerment, decide to abandon our agenda and we choose instead to follow Him. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that the Lord blessed you through this message and that He spoke to you and that you have a clear direction for your life. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. And if you have any questions or comments about today's message, please feel free to email us at fbcrungi at gmail.com. 
Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.